Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. I have the privilege to present the award to one of the five talented women who were nominated as Best Actress in a Supporting Role. The nominees are Annette Bening in The Grifters, Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas, Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost, Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart, Mary McDonnell in Dances with Wolves. Well, in my heart, ladies, it's a five-way tie, but in this envelope is one name. And the Oscar goes to Whoopi Goldberg. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. I'm Kyle Browning, your host, and today we're going to be talking about the 1991 Ceremony Best Supporting Actress Oscar win for Whoopi Goldberg. This was her second nomination, first and only win. Uh, she was the uh, second woman of color to ever win an Oscar. The first was Hattie McDaniel. I found out actually by doing this episode that Hattie McDaniel's Oscar in 1970, 1971 actually completely went missing and it still has not been recovered, which uh, that's really sad, but I digress. Um, today we're going to be joined by uh, one of my favorite people in the world. I have so many credits here. Uh, let me just get through all of them here. So she has an hour-long comedy special on CTV and the Comedy Network. She's a 12-time nominee at the Canadian Comedy Awards. She's an author of Second Best Mom, and she is a podcast host as well for the podcast, So Now You Are Dying, What Are You Doing to Live? It's Kate Davis. Hi, Kate. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Kyle? Good. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. And um, obviously, I always let my guests pick because this is five movies. It's a lot to ask. And you picked Whoopi Goldberg. Why, uh, why, why Whoopi Goldberg? Well, can I be honest here? I first of all thought <laughs> she won for the color purple. <laughs> she should have. Oh my God. Yeah. We'll do that episode next. But... We'll do that episode next. And then I realized it was for ghosts. And then mm -hmm. I, I just found it interesting because um, best supporting actress, I just usually find uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll give it to comedy because comedy never wins best actress. Mm -hmm. Right. It's always so dramatic. So mm -hmm. if they're ever going to give it to and not that Ghost was funny, but it had a lot of funny parts in it. Oh, absolutely. So, but Whoopi's just always been sort of a hero of mine. She started off with her one woman show. Then mm -hmm. she did the color purple. I just felt like she was uh, she was leading the way um, as an African-American woman in America and at the time. And she's just always been really brave with her choices. And she is the second of four women ever in the history of the Grammys to win Best Comedy Album. Oh, there you go. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, she's EGOT. She has uh, her Tony for her one-woman show, her Grammy for her comedy comedy record. Um, it's not stand-up, but it's like, you know, the one-woman show sort of yeah. comedy performance. Um, she has her Oscar. And then, uh, obviously, she has a million Emmys for The View. There you go. 
Egot. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so 1991 ceremony year. So best actor went to Jeremy Irons for Reversal of Fortune. Best supporting actor went to Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci for Goodfellas. Best actress went to ba- uh, Kathy Bates. I almost said Bathy Gates for <laughs> Misery. Uh, best director went to Kevin Costner uh, for Dances with Wolves. And best picture went to Dances with Wolves, the original Avatar. Um, so... Uh, before we just get into everything, you know, I haven't seen you since uh, your birthday, which was in August or September, I believe. August, yeah. It was in August. So how have you been? How are things? Everything's been good. I've been very busy, just still doing a lot of like hybrid shows mm-hmm. uh, because of the pandemic, but I've been good. I've just been, you know what I've been doing and I'm, I, I can't even make this up. I've been learning to fiddle Irish music. Oh my God. <laughs> That's really? How isolated I've been. <laughs> <laughs> like Angela's Ashes Irish oh, music? My God, like slip jigs and yeah. Uh, yeah. You well, know, you know, next party. Watch yeah. <laughs> Gotta bust out the Irish jig. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I'm not even uh, Irish, but you know, they're sort of fun. So that's I'm a weirdo. Okay, we can just move on. <laughs> I know. I love it because you have a, a, a very musical family. Your your son is a professional musician, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. So, and and my son-in-law. And I, yeah, they're all, but you know, they're all very musical, but I'm not. But then uh, we're going to play some tunes like violin and guitar and cello at Christmas. Maybe we'll see. You know, oh, that's so that's so nice. It sounds when I play, it sounds like more like uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> the one and a two and a meh, meh, meh. yeah. <laughs> that's that's, it. that's what it sounds like. I love it. Um, okay, so let us talk about our first nominee in our first movie, Dances with Wolves, uh, which is of course the you know white savior complex. Which this is a different time in history, but now everybody would be like ah. And uh, Kevin Costner, this was a passion project for him that everybody was like, hey, like, maybe don't do this movie. And then it turned out to be a big success, followed by one of the worst career trajectories. I mean, we're talking like Waterworld and many, many bad tank pictures. And he just lost a lot of uh, production companies, a lot of money. But uh, Dances with Wolves, when I was growing up, was my mom and dad's favorite movie. And they always used to say Mary McDonald's line, I'm in mourning, like as a joke. <laughs> yep. Like this movie was very much like, for anybody, if you don't know what it is, it's that it's during the Civil War and uh, Kevin Costner's character is... Uh, uh, he is part of the the North, I believe, and uh, he was a Yankee. And anyway, he like did something really brave. So they gave him whatever he wanted. He gets posted out to, um, you know, indigenous land. And then he makes friends with the local indigenous tribe. And then this, the Yankees find out and then they think that he's a traitor. And then it becomes like a war for the CU tribe that he becomes part of to kind of get out of there. But then you find out in the end, obviously, that... Uh, uh, the CU tribe, I think it was 12 years later, ended up having yeah, to... Lakota Indians, yeah. Yeah, and they were just, you know, uh, their culture was completely destroyed and they had to, uh, well, I mean, we're still seeing the effects of it today. Um, just fucked up. But <laughs> let's talk about uh, the movie, not so much the genocide, which is a different podcast. Um, yeah, like I thought this movie was uh, definitely a little ahead of its time, like just mm-hmm. in terms of like, it's just so relative today. Sure. Still, um, at the same time, like, 
I don't know. I, I it was good, but was it best best uh, <laughs> picture? picture? Not not for me, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah. What did you think? Did you like it? Hate it? Uh, there are some parts of this that are actually true. So Mary McDonald's story is actually based. So her, her character's name is Stands with Fist. Um, it's the story of Cynthia Ann Parker, who was captured by. Um, uh, Lakota Indians, Com- yeah. No, they, it was by Com- I'm pronouncing this so wrong, but Com- Comanche uh, okay. tribe yeah. in 1836 when she was nine years old. Then she married a Comanche chief, uh, but she was captured by white soldiers years later. Um, so I suppose Mary McDonald's character was stands with this was obviously like based on this True real, story. yeah. Um, so this tribe is the Sioux tribe, but they all spoke. Lakota and in their language, because most of the indigenous actors that were part of this, they didn't actually know how to speak Lakota, but with a lot of indigenous language, from what I understand, there's like, it's very gendered. So it's like, there is the way that a man would speak and then a way that a woman would speak the language. And in this movie, they were all speaking like women. And apparently people that are familiar with this language thought it was very funny how all the men were speaking like women. (laughs) Well, and it was Graham Greene, Canadian actor. It was yep. his breakout role. Yep. Uh, nominated for supporting actor in oh, for this movie. There you go. Yeah. Like, I, I thought it was a good movie. I just thought it was a little, like, I don't know. I, I found, like, Mary uh, McDowell was a little, like, uh, Google Translate. You know what I mean for a lot of it? Like, Duolingo. Like, she mean like... I don't know. Like, I just, I didn't find it that, like, I like Kevin Costner's story Uh and, you know, like his empathy for First Nations and, and all that. But I didn't like Mary McDowell was just like, I don't know. Like, I just thought her part was, you know, don't give a woman too big a role, but I mean, it was definitely, right. but it was just, it was a love interest really. I mean, didn't you think, though, that it was really funny how, like, the one, like, local hottie who was also white had to find the only other one local hottie in, like, a CU tribe? You're like, oh, what a convenience. What? what Yes, absolutely. And it was really funny how, um, you know, oh, of course, he simply couldn't just fall in love with an indigenous woman. No, she has to be white just for him. But what was interesting was that the... um, Indigenous, so the CU tribe, the the whole part of the women's um, aesthetic in their tribe is that they have very clean, uh, same length hair, and it's often braided. But in this movie, she looked like David Bowie from the Labyrinth, right? Like with the big. Yeah, she was frizzy, man. Yeah, big hair. Yeah, it was and very that, big hair. And that was a really big criticism of the movie. Although I will say that if she did look super native, like they made her look very native. Would that age well? <laughs> no, of course not. You know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And when you first start watching it, I mean, and you don't realize that she is playing a white woman, you're just like, why did they cast this woman? <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> what is happening? And then you, you realize the story. But uh, but I also love the humor in this movie. Like, there's, there's just like a couple moments where like he's riding up to flirt with her and his the face of the the flag blows in his face. Right. And covers it. Like there there were like some good, like I just thought like humorous moments within the film that had a very serious topic as well. 
Yeah. Um, but I, you know, but also awkward moments, like when they're sharing the tent and the uh, couple's doing it. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, this is scandalous. But I, I know you want to keep warm. You know what I mean? But isn't it funny how they show the, cause there's the CU tribe, which they seem actually quite like they're just defending their land. But then there was that other tribe that was just mercilessly violent and they were scalping and they were, you know, horrible. And it was so funny the way that this movie sort of presented the white people where Mary McDonald's story comes from and how she was captured when she was younger. Yeah. Like, she, like the white people were the victim and it was yeah. actually the native people that were killing the white people. And it was so tragic. And the r- little boy, cause her name was Christine. It sounded like Forrest Gump where he was like, run Christine, run. And it was comical. It was like, Oh my God. If anything, it was the other way around. Yeah. And I didn't like just seeing her under the tree, sort of trying to kill herself first. Uh, no, because so that was unclear because I that's yeah. what I thought. It was that she was just holding the body of her husband who died. Oh, oh, I didn't even know that now. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I had to read about that because I was like, is she cutting her arm? Because she had a knife and blood. Yes, that's yeah. what I thought. And then he carried that's her. That's what I thought too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You gotta make that story. We gotta go back. Rewrite. Rewrite. Yeah, rewrite. But I will say that um, she seemed to have a good grasp of the language, I think. Yeah. Um, it was a little, you know, I think that she did a good job, but it was a little funny to me how she had like a really hard time um, saying things like, hello, and <laughs> I am. But then she would turn around and she would be like, I'm a frontline soldier. You're like, wow. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Yeah. Your vocabulary really improved there for a second. Right away. Right away. Yeah. No. But you know, yes, go on. No, I was just going to say, you know, she, um, is this performance a little cringy? Yes. But if it is technically based on uh, a person, Cynthia Ann Parker, if this is based on a true story, then I'll accept it. And yeah, it was a little cringy, but like, I think that she did justice to the role like I said, when I was growing up, this was my parents' favorite movie, and I think that speaks volumes. And also just the fact that... Um, well, only because grief is a cock blocker. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm grieving. I'm in mourning. I'm in mourning. I mean, that's why your parents were saying that, Kyle. I got to explain. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's... No pussy that night. I'm grieving. <laughs> Oh God! I mean, I don't know if we need to unpack that one, but that's. <laughs> um, there now. I I I did. I really enjoyed the movie. I really liked it. I thought. Uh, I, I it made me hate being white, as right. you, you know most movies like this do. And uh, yeah, it's just uh, why? Why are we? Why do we have to? Why? Why are we such jerk faces? Like I know. Yeah, it's I don't uh, know. It's heartbreaking. I mean, the actual story is heartbreaking. And I love how uh, he he writes in his journal that they are loving, all about family, all about community. They take care of themselves. They're, right. you know, they're like the best uh, socialist government ever. You know what I mean? Everyone has right. everything you need and we're all, we're all for one. We are inclusive. You know, all those mm-hmm. things which I loved. And I, I do love like the elders and all the 
pipe smoking and all that. I just felt like Mary McDowell's character wasn't enough for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, this the, the thing is, is the, a lot of the roles. So whenever you said that you wanted to do best supporting, I was going to be like, well, the thing is, is whenever you go back before, like not even that long ago, I want to say 2005, 2000, the supporting roles for women were often like five, 10 minute performances yes. in three hour films. And the thing that becomes annoying about that, and you can see this with with this year specifically, but this is just kind of how roles are for women in general. The roles, in, especially supporting, it's always a mother, a wife, a girlfriend, a prostitute, or some individual that has to build up the man of the movie. They usually don't have their own independent thought. And when they are speaking, they're usually speaking about the man. And that's the thing about these performances and these nominations is that was kind of it. I mean, with Mary... Yeah, go on. I totally agree, but go on. But Dances with Wolves, you know, it's like she's the she's the wife daughter. It's Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. She's the wife. Annette Benning, she's the girlfriend hooker uh, in uh, uh, in Wild at Heart. It's like Diane Ladd, she's the mother. It's like the roles for women are always just mother, girlfriend, wife, Wife. hooker. Where the boys can be cowboys and the boys can be spacemen and whatever. But it's just when you go, you don't even have to go that far back. It's like the rules. Yeah, the rules for women are just often not great, but the acting is amazing. It is. Yeah. Well, just think 1996 in Canada. uh, That's when it was okay for uh, First Nations allowed to vote. 1996. I did not know that. Are you serious? I believe I'm serious. Now I feel like I should Google it, but I... I <laughs> Let's just start a rumor. I did my <laughs> citizenship test, and I think, yeah, I believe that's correct. So there you go. Oh, my anyway, God. I just, it's all relative. But I did love the movie. It was a good movie, and I was super a sad when they shot the wolf, you know, and the horse. The horse oh, killed me. Why am I so I sad know. about the horse? And I'm like, no, that's I'm okay. not harmed in this picture. <laughs> Oh, I know. Absolutely. But, you know, Mary McDonald's performance, it was what it was. She did a good job. I think that she did a good job with the language. I think my favorite moment was whenever uh, Graham Greene, like, is asking her too many questions and she gets really impatient and snaps on him. That's kind of like my favorite moment from her, because otherwise, um, you know, I remember her for from this movie not necessarily because of her performance, but I always remember her as just sort of the white woman in the tribe. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, that says it all right there. And yeah, and this was her first of two nominations. Uh, she, this was her first, and her second was Passion Fish, which is a leading role a few years later. Huh. And uh, the original version of this movie was five and a half hours long, which. No. Yeah. <laughs> so. I could hardly do the two and a half. Oh. <laughs> I know. Oh, I know. Mine was three. The original version I found was four, and I'm like, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. If there's anything else that you would like to add, uh, we can move on? Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Lorraine Bracco in Goodfellas. I had never seen Goodfellas before, but I had heard about it. It's It's been How parodied so many times. It? I was. It was exactly what I was expecting because I've seen The Irishman, for example, and right. Casino. So it's like I'm familiar with these sort of gangster formats. And um, I also love Ray Liotta. And um, oh, I loved it. I love like 
uh, Scorsese and his like long shots of walking through everything and yes. all the characters being introduced, like, and all from Ray Liotta's, uh, all from his perspective. I just, I really enjoyed this movie. Oh, it's, it's definitely a classic. And, um, you know, this was the movie that like really launched Joe Pesci's career into the stratosphere. I mean, I know they had been previously nominated for Raging Bull, but this was the movie that it was like, wow, you know, but he didn't think that he would win because he won, um, the supporting actor Oscar and he actually genuinely did not think he would. Wow. Well, he, I think he deserved it. I thought he was incredible. Uh, but Diane, I thought what Diane led, I thought was incredible in this. I really, uh, Lorraine, Lorraine Bracco. I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh yeah. That's okay. I do that all the time. I know I do that all the time too. Like, honestly, Um, she was incredible in this. Um, so, so for anybody listening, if you don't know what Goodfellas is about, I mean, it is a gangster movie. I'm not going to get into specifics, but basically it centers around Ray Liotta's perspective of his relationship growing up into the mob and how he meets Lorraine Bracco, this, um, Jewish woman who, uh, is very much like, I don't like you at first, but then she becomes sort of infatuated with the dangerous side of Ray Liotta's life and business and then ultimately marries him. And you kind of just see her progress of her character and her her life. And you know what? Honestly, uh, she had a lot of screen time. Mm-hmm. She you, you really got to see her from beginning to end. Um, there were a lot of really dramatic moments that were like, holy she fuck. Starts off, she starts off so innocent. Yes. Like, just like a bit brashy and loud, but also like, you know, she knew she liked him and, and then it just got more attractive as she knew he had power and money and all that. Yeah. Then, you know, once he goes off with his lover and she's stuck at home with the babies, what? Didn't see that coming. Right. When she's sitting on him with that gun in his head. Right. Oh my, just losing it. And then he just like snaps and beat like there was no holding back back then just beats the crap out of her like it's just yeah. like oh my, like that like i i just couldn't believe it was best supporting actress honestly you know if she was lead i wouldn't be surprised no yeah like it was yeah it was just so good and then you know you're like oh my god does she do all mob because then she was in sopranos Yes. So that's kind of maybe a little typecast, but what I like, what I like about her performance in this movie is that, you know, she hates him on the first date. She confronts him like in person and in front of everyone, everybody. And then he's into it. And then of course, this is the building blocks of a toxic relationship. And I'm like, Oh God, I hate this. But then she openly says whenever Ray Liotta beats the crap out of that guy with like a pistol, Whenever he, the guy that Ray Liotta beats up, like threw her out of a car, which I was like, what? And he beats the crap out of her at him. And then she openly admits that she was turned on by it. I think that line was really necessary because otherwise it would have just been going down this path of like an abusive, toxic relationship. And I'm like, I don't need to watch this. Like, I'm so sick of seeing that trope, like the movie Twilight, where he's like, I'm a murderer. And she's like, no one's perfect. Like things like that. Right. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm not here for it. And um, that was not what it was. She openly admits, she's like, oh, I love the danger. And I think that that line was really necessary because then it gave permission to, for me to like her because she's kind of an anti-hero. Yes, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And then, and then her character, you know, even around the kids starts doing blow herself. Right. right? Just, a lot of blow. Like a lot of blow. And you just see this just like, just unwinding. Yeah. And pretty, pretty incredible. I, the only thing that I thought was funny, however, I'm going to just assume this was a character choice, was how intense her Italian accent got throughout the movie. <laughs> but I'm assuming that was on purpose. I think it was. I thought it was. It was totally believable to me. I just thought Be- she's more in the life. She's more in involved in everything. <laughs> I thought... But she had a really great way of, like, bringing the tension and the comedy of a situation. Like, whenever the cops show up to the house and she has all that coke in the bag and in that bag that's in the cupboard. And then she panics and the way she's like, oh, my God. And then she's, like, flushing all the coke down the toilet. Like, it's yeah. it's dramatic, but, like, it's funny at the same time. Yeah, she's just so out of it. And then... And then she's also like just so panicked, like you would be if you had mm-hmm. a huge amount of blow in your house, mm-hmm. right? But at the same time, he's just mad she flushed it. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm not happy she saved the family and him. <laughs> I'm. I am really happy though that you did mention that part with the gun to his face. I think that that was for me like her Oscar moment. Yes, because it was her like. I am at my breaking point to the point where I used to love you and now I have a gun pointed to your face because her whole character, they kept saying that she never asked any questions. And that festers when you don't ask any questions and you don't know what's going on. Yes. I mean, it festered earlier as well. And then the mob boss is like, you have to go home to your wife. Yes. Like she's phoning us now. You haven't been home in uh, weeks. Right. So yes. I think you sort of you see her on wine, but you think it's because she loves him so much. And, you know, I think of all of these nominees, I would almost say that Lorraine Bracco was kind of the character had who had the biggest arc mm-hmm. where there was a real development of you really see her from the beginning and then what happens to her and who she's become in the end. Because in the end, she's, you know, she's like a mob wife. She's yeah. not that innocent Jewish girl anymore. No, no, exactly. And it's it's pretty incredible. And this was a true story. Yes, based on a true story. Based yes. on a true story, which is pretty incredible. So I wonder if they're still in the witness protection. <laughs> I feel like they're all dead now. So this is based on Henry Hill's life experience. Um, but apparently the only thing that was not like based on, it was just basically real. So Joe Pesci's character, Tommy, Everyone that was involved in this literally said that the real Tommy de Simone or whatever the heck his name was, yeah. um, the only it was just exactly him. Like that was he was that little when firecracker. He kills the kid, like just yeah. serving him drinks. Like what? Yeah. Oh my god! You just hate him. I hate him. You just- and. Yeah, but the the only difference was that in real life, the real Tommy De Simone or whatever his name was uh, was actually very muscular. Oh, that's the only. Yeah, um, Tommy watched Joe Pesci and thought, "Oh my god, I can't believe this fucking guy's playing me." <laughs> Didn't. <laughs> well, I don't know if he ever saw it because I think the real Tommy died of lung. No, no, because no, was. Wasn't he killed or was he? Oh, no, he was killed. Yeah, no, he was killed. You're right. No, it's it's De Niro and Paul uh, 
uh, the big mob boss who ended up in prison. There's just, there's so, I mean, to just explain on this podcast what this movie is about, it's like, there's so much going on. It's hard to explain. It's just a mob movie where things go wrong and. But it really is from the eyes of Ray Liotta, from this yes. young boy who grows up and he doesn't want to go to school and he gets a job with the mob and, uh, you know, he advances through the ranks and he enjoys a life of money and luxury. And then, and he's like literally like oblivious to the horror he's causing. Right. Right. And, and doesn't like just how much murder and death is around. <laughs> Has no, he's just like what? 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 Uh, every, like he was just born without that empathy, without that yeah. brain, without you know that switch. I guess. I think you have to be obviously a psychopath to to be in a mob. You know what I mean, or at least on some level, because I don't think you, you should say that out loud, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> but I you know, I what mean, trying to say is you guys are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, the mob used to run to catch a rising star in the early 70s, which is where, um, you know, Jerry Seinfeld and Bette no, Midler. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. They run most comedy clubs. So back in the day and the sit like Bruce um, uh, or no, Lenny Bruce, you know, got thre like threatened to be killed based on the things that he used to say in these places that were owned by the mob. And wow. yeah, um, but I mean, just specifically talking anyway. Oh, no, but just talking about specifically Lorraine Bracco's performance, you know, it's that sort of suffer in silence. And then um, I think I when you see when she thinks that they're going to kill her and she starts to become really suspicious. Yeah, it's like like there you just see every facet of her character, every facet of the performance. I thought it was so funny whenever she shows up to the prison with the big poofy jacket full oh, of oh like, oh, my God, I love it. And then she just throwing the stuff on the table. Because yeah, she's got like pieces of meat. It's not even yeah. Like it's, just like it's just food. Here's your pasta. Yeah. Here's your yeah. Here's your pancetta. Like yeah. Your hot genoa. Here, take it, take it. I know, and I I thought that was really really funny. Um, a fun fact about this movie: they say fuck uh, and its der derivatives uh 321 times, and as of two as of 2020, it's the number 18 movie in history of all time as saying the word fuck and its derivatives uh in movie history. Wolf wow. of Wall Street is number three, which is also directed by Martin Scorsese, and the number one movie that says the word fuck a lot is called. Yeah, no, it's uh, swear net the movie. I don't know what that is. All right. That is not on any Oscar list. <laughs> um, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Lorraine Bracco's performance before I we move on? I think Lorraine Bracco was incredible in this. and uh, I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Really beginning to end, just like perfect performance. Loved it. And if she had gone lead, I mean, I I would understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about Annette Benning in The Grifters. This was her first nomination for in a supporting role. I love Annette Benning, and I think that she is, frankly, one of the most underrated actors in movie history. Um, just because she's definitely a character actor who loses herself in the character, but she doesn't quite have that like Meryl Streep level of credit, but she can clearly like she has the chops, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, so the grifters is based off a book, um, that, uh, John Cusack was trying to option when he was in high school for the film rights. That's what? so random. I know. And, um, Angelica Houston is incredible in it. I hated her like bleach blonde hair, but I digress. And, um, Annette Benning in this movie. So they're all grifters. They're all con artists and they all have their way of making money. And, um, uh, Angelica Houston is John Cusack's mother, which is like she like tries to have sex with him, which gross. And then you have <laughs> like yum, yum, yum. end anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like in it's uh, I anyway. And then John Cusack is uh, he does a lot of swindles, never like a long con because they always say don't do the long con; it always goes bad. So he does like little so he tricks fun. people with money and yeah. and things like that. And Annette Benning, she has previously done long cons, but she mostly uses her body to get what she wants. Um, I think she was very brave for getting completely nude in this movie more than once. And I think that for the time, like 1990, that was a big risk for your career and to be nominated for an Oscar for it, like the risk paid off. Yeah. Her character Mira was incredible. Like I just like the fact how young and giddy and innocent she came across, Yeah, but then you see her, you know, nailing her horrible fat landlord for the rent. (laughs) Right. And sort of, sort of, you know, edging him on and saying, you don't want your family to know. Like she definitely, she, she's, she was a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. In this Absolutely. Movie. Yeah. I just, I loved it. And I loved like her relationship with John Cusack's character. Like I just, I just felt like Roy, uh, yeah. you know, playing Roy's girlfriend, but at the same time, just as much a con artist. I know. And I think one of my favorite moments about this, and this is because I do a lot of voices in in my work. And the thing that I find so funny is in the movie, she had adopted a very um, high performance because she's actually directly inspired by iconic noir actress Gloria Graham, specifically in the movie The Big Heart, which is a movie that came out in the 50s. And um, actually, uh, Benning actually later played Graham in a biopic called uh, Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. But um I think that she had this voice that was very high for her character as this sort of sweet, innocent, uh, sexual girl who's very confident, who uses her sexuality as a weapon. And then whenever she was doing that con with um, that guy who had all those fake empty offices and uh, bring in the oil tycoon and she would adopt this very deep, like, do you have any cheese from Vermont? Like (laughs) voice, you know, and she would change her voice. And I was like, oh my God, that to me is just the height of comedy when like she understands the character and how ridiculous it is. And she just pretends to be this waspy, like, do you ski kind of woman, you know? And, I just love it. And um, she had a lot of really serious moments, a lot of really funny moments, and she was really showing her range. And um, I like, yeah, I, I think I could have done with 50% less John Cusack makeouts because there were a lot of them for oh, some. God. They made out a lot. They were in love. Yeah. Um, and uh, Angelica Houston is amazing in this movie. She's One of my favorite performances. I... She's such a horrible mother, but yet a loving mother. <laughs> Like when he, you know, she finds him sick and takes him to the hospital and all that. But at the same time, you, 
you realize um, it's weird because you almost realize how messed up she is and just her backstory and how she became a gangster and now, you know, her son and what a crappy mom she was. I know. You sort of see, but, but uh, Mira really almost like, for me, sort of played almost like a mother character to John Cusack as well. Yeah. Like in some weird way, like was just that woman role in his life. who was, you know, in love with him fully. And he always needed that from his mom, but never got it. Mm -hmm. right. And you're absolutely right. I, the only thing I was maybe a little confused by was, you know, was she actually serious about that long con? Was she going to screw him over? I don't know. But then why did she feel the need to go and kill his mother. I mean, I know that they didn't like each other, but it just seemed like an extreme impulsive I decision. She was going to steal the car because that had all the cash. Like, I didn't oh, understand right. why she didn't just take the car. Why she had to go into a room. And uh, and I like the twist. I did like the twist in the movie. Are we allowed to? Is it too soon? Oh, no, like, <laughs> like 30 year spoiler. Go for it. <laughs> uh, like, I love the twist of, you know, we knew Angelica Houston, uh, Lily had the gun under the pillow. Right. But we I don't know. I didn't see it coming. I'd forgotten that part when they were in the morgue. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, there's no burn mark on the hand. And it's actually uh, Mira who's gotten Annette Benning, who's gotten offed. Right. You can't yeah. don't fuck with a mom. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can't con a con. All cons, no cons. I love it. And yeah. Angelica Houston actually described this role to date as the most challenging role of her career. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I could see that. Um, it was like when she's with Bobo and he's like, just like, like she's terrified and just stuck in this world. Yeah. You know, it's very vulnerable. Yeah, it, it was. Go on. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say it's, I, you know, you're not used to seeing Angelica Houston like that in her characters that she usually portrays. No, but I also thought Mira, like you realize how manipulative she was when she went to the track and she was spying on his mom. Right. Mm -hmm. Realized she was putting money in the car and all that. Like she realized you know, what actually was going on. And you actually saw how evil she was at that point, how she was mm -hmm. out just for the con and just for the money. Mm -hmm. I think um, that's the thing is she clearly was an obsessive person who was, you know, uh, I mean, if she's adopting different voices, it's like, is the voice that she's currently using, is that a real voice? You know, and so there's lots of layers to her character that things aren't answered. And I think that that makes her character more interesting. I think Annette Benning is really showing her range as a comedic actor in this. And I think that I fully understand why she was nominated for it. Um, and I, yeah, I really, really enjoyed watching. You're screaming her. when, like, you know, they think the FBI is coming in and the whole. Yes, oh, yes. <laughs> like, just, you know, putting the fake blood back in and all that. Like, she's. She's definitely got it. What a fun character. What a fun character. Uh, absolutely. And that's the thing, though, is that like whenever you do these sort of comedic performances, it's very, you know, easy sometimes to go to that place where it starts to get a little cheesy, like a little caricature-y a little bit, you know? And uh, she like, didn't go there. Like it was just- there. I agree. Yeah. It was this really nice balance of drama and comedy. Absolutely. I mean, what a crazy ending. Oh I know. <laughs>
I was not expecting that ending. Yeah. No, where, no yeah. I'm glad they did it. I mean, I yeah, you don't see a lot of endings like that. Like, what was that in a Hollywood? Like, you know, when they do their tester on the audience, you know? Right. <laughs> right. The way it happens. I mean, she didn't mean to. I yeah. feel like, yeah, anyway. But I do, I think Annette Benning was just like really... Yeah, like just really talented in this beginning to end, range of character, like you said, but at the same time, um, just really, you know, you sh you see that she's just out for herself and all, uh, you know, and she's like, when she's explaining the hustle, she's almost just hustling him, trying to 100%. get you know, the long hustles on, you know? So yeah, I, I really loved it. I loved it. Uh, just I will say one thing before we move on. Uh, Sissy Spacek, Gina Davis, and Cher were all considered for the role of Lily, which was Angelica Houston's character. <gasps> wow. Well, Angelica, you were incredible. So <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Lily Dillon, live on. Unbelievable. Love it. Okay. Let us talk about, oh my God, this one. Okay. Here we go. Let us talk about Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart. Ooh, okay. So this is a film that was directed by David Lynch, who is obviously known for doing things that are very strange, but he usually does things that are very strange and interesting. This was not one of them. So Wild at Heart is a film uh, with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern and Diane Ladd. And in the movie, it's supposed to be sort of like a road crime drama romance thriller you have like a bank heist you have a hit that's taken out on Nicolas Cage and Diane Ladd basically is this selfish mother character who's super controlling who tries to sleep with Nicolas Cage but then turns it around and goes like it wasn't he tried to hit on me I didn't try to hit on him so then this guy tries to kill Nicolas Cage and then Nicolas Cage ends up killing him so then he goes to jail and then Diane Ladd tries to keep Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage apart because they're lovers. And the whole movie is just about her trying to get her daughter back. And oh my God, I literally checked out probably four or five times in this film where I was like, what is going on? And why is this still happening? It was so drawn out. Um, this won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival, and it was one of the most controversial wins. A bunch of people clapped, a bunch of people booed. So this movie was very mixed in terms of its uh, critical reception. Diane Ladd is the only Oscar nominated, uh, is the only Oscar nominee for this entire film. And it was, for me, very painful. However, Marilyn Manson... Uh, calls this his favorite romance film of all time. Wow, there you go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so some people love it. Some yeah. people hate it. There, are, There's moments where Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz just shows up for no reason. <laughs> there's a lot going on. And it's very campy, very cheesy. And it was... Um, it was uh, Nicolas Cage that said that this movie actually helped him get away from method acting and helped him and help him become more playful with acting, which it's like, God damn it, Nicolas Cage, like you are the recipient of every single Razzie Award for worst actor now. It's like, maybe you should go back to method acting. You got too loose. Was this the movie that ruined him? I don't know. But I'm just saying I did not care for this film very much. I did not care for Diane Ladd in this movie. It was so fucking weird, like too weird for me. What did you think about this movie, Kate Davis? I think 
Uh, okay, so to play devil's advocate, I feel like it was a love story yes. on a mother trying to keep true love apart very much. Um, but I also found I'm, it was just pure David Lynch. Like he he is a weirdo. He's going to focus, you know, do the close up on the drink and the hand and this and mm-hmm. like weird stuff. And but I think Diane Ladd, I think it was very much. Like just, um, just watching her be so desperate and her breakdown. I mean, if anyone, it it was bizarre, but just her covering her face and makeup, (laughs) and you just like we come back, like it just starts off with like sort of around the lips, but then they, you know, they add another scene and then they come back and it's her whole face, so she's all red faced. Thank (laughs) God they didn't use a different color lipstick. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. yeah, like that. I mean, I guess if you have a breakdown like that, uh, as bizarre as it is, it's Oscar worthy. I don't know. But I, <laughs> but I thought like in terms of like just the desperation of a mother trying to protect her daughter, even if it's for her own selfish reasons. Uh-huh. Um, I thought like it's a story as old as old as time, but uh, at the same time, you know, it was just pure David Lynch, like just bizarre, and just uh, Laura Dern, and just like the whole, just always in the car, and oh, oh, sailor, you know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah. come on, no guy, you know. And when he leaves, yeah. you know, he just says goodbye to the kid at the end, and then he comes back. Right. I'm like, really? And he jumps over the cars like it's a true romance. <laughs> Come on. It's- I mean, it's 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 camp. Like the movie is very campy. And yes. you know, Diane Ladd, like I know her from um, you know, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, which was also nominated for an Oscar, and seeing her in this yeah. was obviously a departure. Yeah, obviously my favorite moment was when she had the lipstick all over her face. Yes. Side like like but like how the hell did they get that off after like how many makeup wipes you know, did you have to Yeah. <laughs> the whole pack like <laughs> a lot. Um but here's the thing. When you're watching the movie, it's really hard to get into for the first 10 15 minutes, but I think that when you just eventually accept it for what it is. It's easier to just, it's, I didn't have like a heads up on it. So when I was watching it, I was like, what the, what the overacting is this? Like, I don't understand what is happening. But when I read the reviews for this film, that's what people were saying about it is they were like, it's really weird. But the point of it is that it's supposed to be weird. Yeah. It's David Lynch. I mean, William Defoe's character and then playing the hitman and offing Diane Ladd's, uh, you know, love or whatever. And she knows it's going to happen too, which is even weirder. (laughs) Right. She's, she's put a head out on, you know, I mean, the deal was if you, if the guy William Defoe's character is like, yeah, if I have to hit uh, sailor, you know, Nicholas Cage, then I'm going to, I'm going to take out your guy too. Right. Like she she knows it's going to happen, but a mother will do anything to protect her daughter. But I guess so. But it was more like with her lover. No, 
Right. But I just, I felt like, oh, like I just kept checking out of this movie. Like it just, I was, it, it kept dragging on and on. And then I would get confused because I was still unclear of Diane Ladd's motivation because it's like, I understand that you are obviously very controlling and trying to quote unquote protect your daughter for selfish reasons. But at the end of the day, like, you know, for a fact that you were the one that started all of it with Nicolas Cage at the beginning and just trying to sleep with your daughter's lover, I don't think warrants like a cross country murder story. It just, a lot of it just seemed very, the motivation behind everything was just very, very unclear. And well, like, even, yeah, even when they get to the weird town, you know, and, and just tuna, Texas or something, <laughs> tuna can. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. And, 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 and I love the weird, the weird things that David Lynch, I mean, he, he left the puke in the hotel room, right? And every time someone walks into it, it's like, why does it smell like puke in here? But no one ever <laughs> cleans it up. You just see the flies around the puke, right? And it's just like, yeah, like just weird stuff like that, which is very David Lynch. It's just his style of, of filming. It's just, it takes what we think i mean you know look we're we're uh comics but we're pretty normal right? right but a lot of people are not and a lot of people are like that messed up and that redneck and that and yeah. i i feel like david lynch was just telling a story that you know these people do as as bizarre as we think they are do live in the world Right? Yeah, absolutely. And is it like, you know, you look at Diane Ladd's character and you're like, well, is it mental illness? Like, right. oh, like we're living in a very different age now. Would we ever be able to portray that? Yeah. And at the very, very end, when it's like six years later and she's just like a drunken mess, I'm like, okay, I'm on board. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, with her martinis. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so it's like, yeah, like maybe it's just sort of like it doesn't resonate with us because we aren't, because it's like if Marilyn Manson is calling this his favorite romance film, it's like maybe you just have to be a little odd to appreciate this film. And because some people really love it. And yeah. it and it's campy kind of quality, but I'll be honest with you, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> I, just... I had to I had to be like, is it over? Like it's long. I know. It's too long. I know. I know. Yeah. It just it, it dragged on and I just like I I also hated that um Laura Dern's character was named Lula. Yes. Uh, cause it's like nails on a chalkboard because it's like Lola, Lula, Lula, Lola, Lula, Lula like uh like Lula Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> I some of the lines like i have a boner with a capital o it was like what what <laughs> like, is happening what is this yeah. um so, willem defoe do you remember when they put the stocking on their face when they're robbing a bank because it yes. like smushes your face his face is so flat and his cheekbones are so high that the stocking did nothing to disguise his face at all oh. Oh my gosh no no it did not and i love the fact there was like it was in the middle of nowhere and a cop just happened to be driving by right <laughs> right in the middle of nowhere in yeah. the middle of nowhere yeah it's like what? um there was a sequel to this movie no! in yeah in 1997 called uh perdita durango which was that snaky witchy woman that killed diane ladd's like oh yeah yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's played by Rosie. Yeah, played by uh Rosie Perez. Oh. Oh. In the sequel. One. Yes. Okay. Yeah, in the sequel. Yeah, yeah. 
And the snakeskin jacket that Nicolas Cage was wearing uh, was tribute to Marlon Brando's role in The Fugitive Kind from 1960. Wow. That's so much detail. I'm proud of you. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to Diane Ladd's performance before we move on? Oh, Diane Ladd. You know what? I just, um, I appreciate the subtleness of her. (laughs) Like, I just like... Like to to be something that crazy and that out there, but to keep it grounded in a mother's love or what she thinks is a mother's love mm-hmm. and desperation, I found uh, pretty enduring, like endearing. Yeah, I know. And I also think that probably one of her best acting moments was when she was really drunk and trying to hit on Nicolas Cage, because I think that would be a very difficult scene to film when your actual daughter is playing the daughter in the movie. You know what yes, I mean? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's that. And, um, too close to home. What? What? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that, yeah, like when your work becomes a little incestuous, you know, let's, I guess, give props to the bravery for that. I, I'll yeah. give her that. Yeah. Well, and also Isabella Rossellini who's in it and Nicholas Cage are cousins, I believe. Oh, wait. I, I mean, Isabella Rosalini uh, is um, Ingrid Bergman's daughter. I know that. Oh, really? Yeah. I so, who's Nicolas Cage's cousin? Oh, well, Nicolas Cage is uh, the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola. Yeah. 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 I knew I knew that, but I, don't, I there's a dynasty. There's a whole... There's a whole you know. Hollywood dynasty. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You got the Barrymores and you got the Kardashians. Oh, um, <laughs> Sure. Sure. Uh, okay. So let's talk about our winner. Um, so Whoopi Goldberg in Ghost uh, for a supporting role. And um, I do just want to say this little fun fact before we get into it. Uh, in 2002, her Oscar was sent for replating and it went missing. And then it was actually later found in a trash can at a Los Angeles airport. Yeah. And I don't know what the hell that is, but I would assume that somebody intercepted a package, opened it, realized what it was, and probably freaked out because they were like, oh, shit. Like, if I get caught with this, like, these are, it's attached to a celebrity. Like, I will definitely go to jail. Oh, yeah. So they just ditched it in, like, anywhere that they could. Like, Like you do with drugs in Amsterdam. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> or in Goodfellas. <laughs> so uh, Patrick Swayze uh, had to really convince the producers of this movie to let Whoopi Goldberg portray Otome Brown because um, originally they weren't a fan of per, or of having Whoopi Goldberg in this movie. And originally the character, uh, Otome Brown, um, you know, she was actually going to be a psychic. She was not going to be a fraud because at the beginning she's a fake but then in the the original script she actually did have like psychic abilities and they're like no this is going to be a comedy like let's actually make it um uh, like her fraudulent because then it would make her character more interesting and funnier yes Uh, but then her fraudulency it ends up with her actually having a gift right and she's shocked by it so it just makes her a little bit more interesting yeah um 
So if anybody doesn't know what ghost is about, re- like revoke your gay card. But if you don't know what if you don't know what the movie Ghost is about, it's uh, Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze have a love story. He dies. He stays on this earth as a ghost, and he tries to find out who killed him as revenge. And he finds out that his best friend was the one that did it. And the only person that can hear him, Patrick Swayze, as a ghost is Whoopi Goldberg. And then she helps him uh, solve the crime and uh, get justice for Demi. And wackiness ensues. And Whoopi Goldberg in the movie is uh, this. I have seen this movie a million times. It is one of my favorite movies to watch. It is one of my favorite performances. I always cry at the end. I love that song by the Unchained Melody. Unchained Melody. It's like one of my karaoke songs. Like this is an iconic movie. This is an iconic movie for me. This is an iconic movie for Whoopi Goldberg. And like you said at the beginning of this podcast, it's a comedic performance, which normally the Academy um, doesn't really reward. And it's just so nice seeing something like this being rewarded because I love this movie so much. I mean, you have the iconic line like, Molly, you in danger, girl. Like, come on. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just incredible. What did, what did you think about this movie? What did you think about this performance? Well, I saw this movie back in the day when you were mm-hmm. two. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know what? It's, it, the movie holds up. It just, it holds Absolutely. up. I do love the, uh, you know, they just move into this, like, you know, it starts with them, like, knocking out the walls of this beautiful studio, and they're so in love, and, you know, he's a banker, but she's, like, you know, that iconic scene of them making love after she's spinning some clay on the wheel, and it gets all dirty, and all, you know, their little jukebox on Chainmail is hot. Right, right. It's like yes. super hot, but then it becomes like once the murder happens, once Sam is murdered, right, which is just really a robbery gone wrong, right? right? And you know he jumps out of his body, and this is before like CGI, like this is before you know, like like you know a lot of uh, like visual effects, yeah, a lot of visual effects, so. I thought they, you know, they did really well holding up to like pretending you're not there, you know, which I do with my Aunt Carol when she comes over. You know, <laughs> I look right through her. I look right through her. But I do. I love how serious it is at the beginning. And then Whoopi's character just, you know, does what we would all do if we saw a ghost scream and hide. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like she is not into it. Like she's like, this is insane. I'm just pretending. And all of a sudden it's real. And I thought her transition, you know, and her uh, of that becoming being a phony, becoming something real and and still not owning it, but always her character always being herself in this. Like mm-hmm. when she goes to the bank to sign the papers near the end and she has to pretend to be, you know, this posh lady. You know, and he's trying to talk to her and she's trying to sign and he's giving her all the details. I just thought she was, she played it like those two characters really well, you know, having to give away $4 million at the end to charity. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like every like inch of her wanted, the crook in her wanted, the con artist wanted to keep it. I Mm -hmm. thought, I loved Whoopi in this. I mean, it's not, it's dramatic. It's not, comedy is hard. People don't yeah. realize that. So yeah, yeah, I really loved her in this. And and all those, you know, she's just like trying to trying to be believed, you know, when she can't even really believe herself and it's happening. 
And I, I know what you're saying by that. I knew before you even said what you were going to say, because you're right. It's not that sort of typical, like it's so, for example, it's like when you look at like Annette Benning, it's like, she has a, a sort of very fancy way of doing comedic acting and going in and out of voices and changing things. But then you have Whoopi doing it in a way that only Whoopi can do it Yes, because she is a comedian. So it's like, she knows how to do it in a very specific way. And, um, Whoopi was actually the first actress to ever win the Golden Globe, the BAFTA, and the Oscar for supporting role for one specific role. She was the first one to do that. Um, They say that because you had said previously that this movie really holds up, you're right. And the director said that the only thing that ages this movie are the computer monitors and Arsenio (laughs) Hall. Um, yes, the scene... no one's ever on a phone. Like everyone, yes. there are no phones. Like everyone's like, you know, dial in the phone and yeah. I'm right. Curious. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, so Nicole Kidman auditioned for the role of Molly, but she didn't get it because they just felt that she was kind of a no name at the time. Um, the scenes when Patrick Swayze is running outside in New York at the time of filming, it was actually freezing. And the way that they got him to not have like breath coming out because he's supposed to be dead is they made him chew ice cubes. Wow. So he'd be even more cold. Um, the sounds that the the evil dark shadows make when they're taking you to like the evil world, yeah, you know, hell. um, it's hell. It, oh, yeah. The, or the hell or whatever it is. I don't know if there was a religious aspect to it, but maybe there was, um, the sounds are of babies crying played backwards very slowly. <laughs> yeah. And they're demons, which I think that's really funny. I was going to tell, I knew that I knew that <laughs> having children. Really? Absolutely. Um, So, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, Oda Mae Brown, it's just, she has so many funny moments, so many funny lines. And uh, And the only thing that I- The girls in her house with her, you know, who are like, and then once, you know, all, once the dead people cotton on that she's like, and they all show up at her place and she's just like overwhelmed. There's too many of them. And then, you know, Sam shows up again going, I need your help. Like, I just- I love her always hiding in her fake little room when she's overwhelmed or Mm -hmm. people come, you know, trying to kill her as well. So I just thought, yeah, she was really great. I just thought she just played every moment as real as she could for something that was ridiculous. And that's the thing that Demi Moore had, because uh, in 2012, they had some sort of a rescreening of the movie. And she had said that when they were making the movie, it's a love story between her and Patrick Swayze. But then you have this comedy between Patrick Swayze and Whoopi. Yeah. And her hesitation to doing the movie is she was like, mm, this could either really work or this could just be a huge mess. Right. And it really worked because if you really think about it, Demi and Patrick Swayze are kind of doing that sort of dramatic acting where uh, Whoopi is actually, you know, really just being the comedian, but it fits in perfectly. Yeah, it absolutely does. And Demi, you know what? She's good at crying with no like ugly face. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like she can just like keep her face all pretty in a teardrop down. How do you do that? I know she's gorgeous. Did you know when she uh, showed up for this movie, that haircut was not planned, like the short hair? Yeah. And the director was like, what are you doing? And he was very, he really did not like it. 
And then later he realized how wrong he was. And how cute she looked. She did look really cute. And it's just like, it's when I think Demi Moore, I think short hair from Ghost. Yes, absolutely. Of course. It made her the most uh, highest paid um, actress in Hollywood at the time. Unfortunately, it was followed up with God, Striptease, G.I. Jane, The Scarlet Letter, <laughs> Charlie's Angels uh, 2. Never again. Her, yeah. Her career just really tanked in the 90s. Yeah, it really did. And then, you know, she dated Ashton Kutcher. So there you go. That's true. And then the whole cougar conversation started, remember? Oh, yeah. Watch out, Demi. I'm a cook. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. No, I really, I think Whoopi um, just added to this movie. I think, uh, like, honestly, as ridiculous as so many of the, her moments were, it just worked because it was Whoopi. Yep. You know? I always find it well, I always find it really funny whenever um Whoopi and her are like technically being very intimate because Patrick Swayze's like possessing her body. Yes. <laughs> I always okay. find that kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. She's had Patrick Swayze. Who hasn't had Patrick Swayze in them? Come on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so good. And you know what? I love uh Carl, the best friend. Like he was just so gross and oh, I know. so like caught and panicked and you know, when like just, you know, when he's knocking over all the stuff at the office and he's freaking out and, you know, the money's gone and his world is crumbling. And then he tries to. Yeah, it's, everyone was really great in it. But uh, yeah, Whoopi was just uh, a shining light in it and just a breath of fresh air. Like you just you absolutely so many romantic comedies and romantic, well, dramas. And this just really had it be both. I agree with you. And uh, it's really interesting that you talk about the actor who played Carl because uh, he actually said that this movie kind of ruined his life a little bit oh. because people hated him and he didn't know why. And he would go into a restaurant and oh, the server no. would be extremely yeah. mean to him. And then he would have to tell the waitress, it's like, I think you think he's I'm the person from Ghost. I was the bad guy in Ghost. And then she'd be the waitress would be like, oh, my God, I, that's what it is. It's like, I knew I hated you and I didn't know why I hated you. And. And then he did the voice acting for the movie Tarzan, like the Disney movie. Oh. And apparently after that, it kind of repaired some of the damage that had been done. But yeah, people really hated him after the movie goes. Wow. Well, that's a good movie then right there. Yeah. You know, if you can never work again. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we select our winner? Oh my gosh. I don't think so. I just think it's very exciting. I don't know who my winner is going to be. Ah! I know. I don't know who my winner is going to be either. This is actually a very tough decision, but uh, you are my guest. So that means that you get the pleasure of going first to tell me who you think that the Oscar should have gone to. I think the Oscar should have gone to. Lorraine Bracco. Okay. Awesome. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I just, what it was just as we said it was just you saw her character from when she was young to when she was older you saw such a massive arc you know where she played this young naive kid to this woman who got married to this motherhood babies to a scorned woman who was losing her husband and she'd do anything to keep him and I just I just feel like her character went through so much I mean really it is between Whoopi and and Lorraine for me but mm-hmm. I, I just feel like like that movie was just that part was just so much. 
And I just, I just love Lorraine Bracco in it. I love it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say who I think. So I think that the Oscars should have gone to. Annette Benning for the Grifters. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of my, okay, first of all, I'm very happy that Whoopi has her Oscar. She deserves at least one. And um, the fact that she won for it, I'm not mad at it. I love this movie. I love her performance. I quote Molly, you're in danger girl all the time. Like, like I totally see why she won. It's just that of this year for me personally, it was Annette Benning because when she was doing that, like little, deep voice whenever she was like trying to sell you know to the oil tycoon and like you're saying whenever like she pretends like she's dying and there's blood everywhere and she's freaking out it's just you really see her character acting and her comedy chops and you just go oh this woman has um, an amazing career ahead of her and um i've just seen the range of annette benning's um acting skills and i'm such a fan of hers and uh, if you've ever seen the movie Being Julia, like if like, she's so funny in that, I think it's on CBC Gem. Like you can watch it for free. Um, I love Whoopi. I'm happy that she has an Oscar, but just for me personally and my personal taste, it would be Annette Bening and the Grifters. Wow, we're just uh, we gotta <laughs> we gotta redo the Oscars now. No, I, I know I, Annette Bening was she was incredible. Um, I think Lorraine. I was just a different part. It was a different part, and I agree with you. I would not take it away from Whoopi for anything. Um, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, I. Uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a good year. It was a good it was a hard like there was a lot of good women in this category this year. Absolutely. Yeah, nineteen ninety. Absolutely. Yeah. Incredible. All right. Well, um, that concludes another episode of Best Actress. Please be sure to uh, tell your friends, tell your gays, uh, leave us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. Also, if you have any Jacqueline Follet stories, please let me know. I've already heard a couple of them. They're always very funny. Um, Kate Davis, that's from another episode. <laughs> Never mind. If you're like, what is a Jacqueline Follet? Well, I'll tell you later. Um, and uh, Kate Davis, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me at Kate Davis Comic on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. But you can go to katedavis.ca to find out where I'm going to be. That's amazing. Oh, okay. Thank you so much for. Because I have a new. Oh, absolutely. I have a new yes. coming out uh, on <gasps> December 17th called Tested Positive on, uh, <laughs> on Spotify, on iTunes. Uh, you can buy it. And I'd appreciate it. That's amazing. December 17th, tested positive by uh, Kate Davis. Congratulations. And that's definitely something that you guys should all look out for. I love it. What a fun podcast. Yay. Okay. Thank you so much for being a guest. And we'll see you next time. Thanks.